road his way to Calvary. And as he goes to Calvary, we think about the suffering and the death that he endured for us on our behalf. And I think a lot of times as we ponder upon this and we meditate on this, the question also comes to us about our suffering and our death in Christ. For if our Savior, our Messiah, our Lord, if he endured such suffering for us, then is it okay for me to live comfortably? Is it okay for me not to suffer if my Lord suffered? And that's what we're going to be talking about today as we look at Mark chapter 8, verses 31 through 38. And we see this statement that Jesus makes to his disciples, not just the 12 that are there, but all of his disciples. We read in verse 34, calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And at the very end of the passage that we read today, he says, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And so, as we examine this scripture and this passage, there are mainly two questions that we need to answer in order to understand what it means to be a true follower of Christ. And that's the, these are the two things in verse 34. The first is, what does it mean to deny yourself? Jesus looks at us. He looks at his disciples and he says, you must deny yourself. What does that mean? Well, the Greek word that he uses here is a parneomai. And it means to disown, repudiate, and disregard. And it is to strongly reject something or someone. To strongly refuse something or someone. In other words, it means that you cut yourself off completely of acquaintance or connection or concern or interest. This is the same word that Jesus uses when he tells Peter that he will deny him three times, that he will betray him three times. We remember in that scene that Peter disowns Jesus. In that moment, even though Peter, we know Peter loves Jesus. We know Peter followed Jesus. But in that moment, we remember him disconnecting himself from Christ, from Jesus. He completely denies any affiliation with Jesus. For those few moments, he's more concerned about his own life. He's more interested in himself rather than in Jesus. So then to deny yourself would be to do what Peter did. To yourself. Not that you forget who you are, but rather it means to cut yourself off from your own desire, from your own concerns, even from your own interests and your own identity, to completely deny yourself. Now, this seems quite extreme, and so we have to understand the why. Why do we? have to deny ourselves? Why do we have to do this extreme? And in order to to understand this, we need to understand the context. And at first glance, it seems like uh, verses 34 and on are kind of their own passage, right? Jesus looks to his disciples and he starts to explain this. You have to deny yourself and take up your cross. However, the previous verses also actually connect with verse 34. In these verses prior to the passage that we read today, 
in Caesarea Philippi, Jesus asks his disciples who they think he is. And they say, oh, some people think you're, you know, Elijah or Moses or whatever. And he says, who do you think I am? Who do you say I am? And Peter, of course, being the representative of all the disciples, he, he boldly proclaims, Jesus, you are the Christ. And this was a bold statement acknowledging that Peter, as well as the other disciples, they knew, in fact, who Jesus was. He was the promised, the prophesied Savior, the Messiah. He was the one who was coming to save God's people. But what Peter failed to understand was that this Messiah, this Savior, was not coming in grandeur. He wasn't coming in splendor. He wasn't coming to establish this earthly kingdom and rule over all the kingdoms on the earth. In fact, the opposite was true. And so it says that Jesus begins teaching his disciples. What it says in verse 31. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. It was the opposite that was true. What Peter and the disciples and what the rabbis and you know what they all thought was that this great this Messiah would come and restore this earthly kingdom and they would have all of this splendor on the earth again. But Jesus says, no. I'm going to suffer and I will die. And this was not okay with Peter. This went everything against what Peter stood for, what he believed. How could the Messiah suffer? How could he die at the hands of his own people, the chief priests and the scribes? How could this be? How could he die? Jesus, you're not supposed to die. You're supposed to live. You're supposed to, you know, bring us back. The long-awaited son of man. He was supposed to be represented as someone who would come in victory. Not in defeat. Not in failure. Not in death. Now, we know that Peter did some very brash and very brazen things throughout his life, right? We know that he did a lot of crazy things. If you read the New Testament, then you'll know. But I think what he did next is probably one of the most audacious things that he has ever done. This is what he did. He took Jesus, after Jesus told them this, he took Jesus aside, right? Like, come on, Jesus, let me, let me teach you something. Let me tell you something, Jesus. He, he pulls Jesus aside the eternal word, incarnate God, the savior of the world, the Messiah, he pulls him aside. And what does he do? He starts to rebuke Jesus. He starts to rebuke the savior. And we catch a glimpse of what Peter says in Matthew's recording. He says, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Peter basically says, Jesus, not on my watch, right? That's not happening. You know, you, you're not suffering. I will protect you. I won't let you die. I won't let these things be. Basically, he's telling God what his plan ought to be. He's correcting the all-knowing God of the universe. And so we all laugh at Peter, right? Oh, what, what a foolish thing to do. And we might point our finger at Peter at such a blunder. Yet I'm positive 
that everyone in this room, including myself, has found ourselves in Peter's position at one time or another in our lives, trying to teach the God of the universe what the plan should be. When things don't go our way, well, let me, let me, let me tell you, God, this is how it should be. We pull aside, right, the all-knowing, omniscient God, and we say, well, God, let me teach you something. We rebuke his ways. We pray our will rather than God's. And we act as if we are better than him. And so in response, Jesus says, but turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter. And he said, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So what was wrong with what Peter did? What's wrong with praying, God, my will, not your will? What's wrong with pulling aside God Almighty and saying, God, let me tell you something. Let me teach you how it's supposed to be done. What Peter did seems innocent, right? It seems like he had good intentions. He didn't want Jesus to die. He didn't want him to suffer. And so Peter was just trying to, you know, be bold and brave, right? Well, really, the only reason we try and tell God what to do is because we love him, right? We want to do what's best for God. That's why we tell him what to do. <laughs> of course, we all know that's, that's wrong. That's wrong. The orientation of our heart, our mind, our thoughts, our desires are contrary to God. What Peter did was he wanted Jesus to do what his plan was rather than God's plan. He didn't acknowledge and here's a point, God's sovereignty and that everything that God did was good. When we follow Christ and we think we know better, we, we end up like Peter like this and we think we're doing it because we love God. What ends up happening is that we actually begin to oppose God. So this is how it relates. Why do we need to deny ourselves? Why does Jesus say, deny yourself? Well, because if we don't deny ourselves, if we don't cut ourselves off from ourselves, then we become the enemy of God. Like Peter, we become vessels for Satan rather than vessels for God. The connection is that if we don't deny ourselves, then we might think we love Jesus and think we're doing things for Jesus when we're actually opposing him when we're actually denying God. Denying ourselves means understanding that we are broken, that we are sinful, that our, our desires, no matter how innocent they may seem, no matter how good intentioned they may seem, our desires will always be contrary to God in our sinful state, in our unregenerate nature. We deny ourselves because we understand that God's way is the only way, that his way is the best way, that our identity is in Christ. So if we believe this, we will deny ourselves because we believe fully in the sovereignty and the goodness of God. Many times we fail to deny ourselves because we don't believe that God is truly sovereign. Things don't go our way and say, oh, maybe God doesn't know what he's doing. 
Or sometimes we fail to deny ourselves because we don't truly believe that God is good. How can these things happen and God be good? Let me tell you what's good, God. This should happen and that shouldn't happen. And A lot of times we fail to deny ourselves because we don't believe that God is sovereign and he is good. Perhaps it's easy for us, like Peter, to, to say, yes, you are the Christ and believe in the sovereignty of God. But when Jesus does something contrary to our own nature or our own, own plans to pull him inside and say, well, are you sure this is a good plan, Jesus? Maybe we feel that we, we believe that God is sovereign, but maybe we have questions about whether he's good. Maybe we believe that he's good, but question whether he knows what's best. The purpose of denying ourselves is to confess that God is sovereign and he is good in everything that he does even in the journey of the cross. It wasn't a surprise to God that Jesus would suffer and die. He says it plainly himself. To us, to the disciples, it seems bad. It seems like the wrong thing to do. But as true followers, if we truly believe that he is sovereign and that he is good, then we deny ourselves And even, no matter how it looks to us, we follow God. We bow our will and we surrender to him and we deny ourselves. And our prayer changes from God, let my will be done and give me everything that I ask and do it according to my plan, to God, help me understand your will. And even when I can't, Lord, help me to follow you. So Jesus says to deny yourself, and then he says to take up your cross. Many times when we read, take up your cross, I think a lot of times we take it too much as a figure of speech or allegory, and we like to eisegete some kind of meaning into it. And so taking up your cross really means to just kind of endure uh, some kind of situation or, or issue. We remember Jesus in the hard time, or sometimes maybe we even minimize a situation. We say, well, you know, Jesus endured the cross, and so why can't I, you know, go through this? You know, this is, you know, petty and little compared to what Jesus went through. And so we use the term taking up our cross for things like when our cat or our dog poop on the sofas. Oh, that's just, I just got to take up my cross. Or when our children don't listen to us. Or, you know, suddenly the HVAC system breaks. Oh, that's just my cross, I guess. I just got to bear that cross. Now, while these can be some of the implications that come out of what Jesus said, this is absolutely not what Jesus meant when he said, take up your cross. The disciples wouldn't have known the cross. This is before the cross. This is before the, the sacrifice, the crucifixion of the cross. So they don't they don't have that insight. What they do know is that crucifixion on a cross was one of the primary ways of execution. It dealt with much suffering and death. And so, plainly, Jesus was telling his disciples, I am going to suffer and die. And if you follow me, you will also suffer and die. There was no hidden meaning. 
It wasn't a figure of speech. In his commentary, R.T. Frames, he states, the metaphor of taking up one's own cross is not to be domesticated into an exhortation merely to endure hardship patiently. In this context, following chapter 831, it is an extension of Jesus' readiness for death to those who follow him. And the following verses will fill it out still in terms of the loss of life, not merely the acceptance of discomfort, while it may no doubt be legitimately applied to other and lesser aspects of the suffering involved in following Jesus, the primary reference in context must be the possibility of literal death. So Jesus was clear. He's saying, if you want to follow me, deny yourself and take up your cross. What is he saying? He's saying, suffer and even die. This is very extreme. And so again, we need to understand the why. Why? Why did Jesus say this and why must we do this? Verses 35 through 37, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? This is the paradox. This is the mystery of the gospel. This is true wisdom that Jesus is telling us and the disciples. Jesus is saying, when you suffer and you die for my sake and for the gospel, you will actually gain your life. Pay close attention. Jesus isn't saying, if you just suffer and die, then you will have eternal life. He's saying, if you suffer and even maybe even die because of me, because of Jesus, and because of the gospel, you are actually gaining Something. So taking up our cross is not just a, an arbitrary suffering. Right? There is suffering that, that non-believers go through and believers go through. The suffering and the death that Jesus is talking about here is the persecution and the slander and the hatred and even possible death that comes from knowing and faithfully devoting ourselves to following Jesus. And this isn't just an option Jesus says, if you follow me, you must take up your cross. You will suffer and you will die. And that's, of course, different for every Christian. So then as Christians, we take up our cross and we are willing to suffer for Jesus and maybe even die for Christ because we have complete and absolute belief that we will inherit eternal life. See, it would be a true tragedy if we just suffered and died for nothing. If there was no truth, if it was a false gospel or whatever it is, and we suffered and we died, and there was nothing. There's no reward. There's nothing. That is, the tra that is a true tragedy. But Jesus says, in fact, you will suffer and you will die. However, what you will gain, what you will profit is so much greater than your suffering and your dying. And that's why we are able to, to do this. Friends, he continues, he says, despite the prevalence of rejection and death in this passage, the tone is neither gloomy or fatalistic. The death of which these verses speak is not a meaningless or tragic fate, but is freely accepted and purposeful. See, this is how we are able to deny ourselves and take up our cross because it's it's not fatalistic 
We actually do it in joy and thanksgiving because we know what we will gain. Jesus, he asks this, this very profound question. He says, if you gain everything in the world, but you lose your soul, what do you actually profit? What is more important than your very soul? And Jesus says that unless we die to ourselves, unless we are willing to die for Jesus physically, we may gain the world, but we will forfeit our souls. So then, a true follower of Christ denies themselves, takes up their cross, and follows Jesus. And we do it willingly and even joyfully, for we know the prize. We know that we have been adopted as children of the Most High God. We know that we will be glorified in heaven with him forever in eternity. It's like the parable that Jesus tells in Matthew 13. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. And then in his joy, he goes and he sells all that he has and he buys that field. And it's such a, a short parable. But it tells us so much about our life of, of following Christ and our life as Christians that there's this treasure in a field. And what does this mean? He finds the treasure and it says in joy because he's found the treasure. He sells everything that he has. Following Jesus requires our total, our complete surrender to him. It is a calling that requires everything, not just most or even some, but complete denial of ourselves to completely take up our cross. It requires absolute devotion to Christ without trying to have one foot in the world and one foot in another, not trying to make some plans and try to follow God in some ways. It absolute devotion to Christ. That's what it means to be a true follower of Christ. Now, a lot of sermons, they'll end right here. And the application will be, aren't you convicted? Now go out and do better. Live a better life. Act better. Be better. Give up everything you have. Start suffering for Christ. And then they'll just pray. And it's a really convicting message. And it causes us to rethink our lives as Christians, and it makes us want to go out and do better. But that's not the gospel. The gospel says, in all of this, in denying all of yourself and taking up your cross and giving up everything, there is grace because there will be many moments where we will be like Peter and we will try to rebuke God and we will even deny him three times. There will be times where we run away like the disciples at Gethsemane. There will be times where we will reject Jesus. We can't say that we won't. Because if you're like me, I've been Christian about 20 years now, I can't say, oh, I've completely mastered, right, the art of complete surrendering to Christ 
and taking up my cross every day. I am a complete master, and that is why I stand up here before you and preach this message. No. We will fall. We will fail. So the message isn't be convicted and go out and live a better life. Because no matter how hard you try, you're always going to end up back here at the mercy of God. So this is a warning about being too complacent. It's a warning about trying to have the world and have Jesus at the same time. It's a, it's a warning about where is your treasure? What are, you, what are you treasuring the most? Is it something else other than God? But the primary message is about God's grace, about his sovereignty and about his goodness. In the midst of our failures, even when we deny Christ, even when we do not deny ourselves, even when we don't take up our cross and follow him, this, loved ones, is the gospel. This is the beauty of the gospel of Christ. And this is how we are able to constantly come back to Jesus. It's not because we've mastered the art of surrender or mastered the art of taking up our cross but it is only through the grace and the power of God it is through him that we are able to deny ourselves through his power we are able to follow him when Peter confessed Jesus as Christ it, it wasn't because of his own wit or his knowledge we read in Matthew's account Jesus says Peter, this wasn't revealed by yourself. He says it was revealed by my Father in heaven. After denying, right, a paraneomai, after denying and betraying Jesus three times, it wasn't his good deeds, it wasn't his now go out and live a better life that restored him back to Jesus. It was Jesus that restored him back to Jesus. It was through the forgiveness and mercy of Jesus. When Jesus asks, for what can a man give in return for his soul? The answer is nothing. We can give nothing for our soul. We can try as hard as we want. But only the blood of Jesus Christ can save our souls. And so when we think about denying ourselves and taking up our cross and following Jesus... We must depend on his grace. We must rely on his blood. So we are convicted. So go and live better. Stop sinning. Deny yourself daily. Take up your cross daily and follow Jesus. But be reminded that you can only do it through the grace of God. That you are only able to do it through the power and the strength of God. Depend only on him to sustain you and rely only on him to lead you and pull you through. Come before him with humble and contrite and repentant hearts. Knowing that he forgives and that he is gracious. Come to the table to be restored, to be renewed, and to be strengthened by the true flesh and through the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.